And sometimes those trees uh, have been overwhelmed by uh, kudzu vines. Uh, not ever having any experience in the past with kudzu, I used to just drive by and think how nice it looked uh, to see entire stretches just covered uh, by these vines. Uh, bought a house about two years ago, a uh, year and a half, and uh, the, the back quarter of our yard was, uh, was covered with kudzu. And so I no longer look at kudzu with uh, any kind of admiration or enjoyment. Um, when we moved in, um, the kudzu just, if you know anything about kudzu, it grows so quickly. It's a vine that just creeps and, and uh, without any kind of tending, it just moves. You can cut it back, but if you don't stay on top of it, it continues to grow back. Uh, it will consume forests and it will kill trees. It, uh, it takes over trees and covers them such that they can't get the, the nourishment from the sun that they need. It, it, it absorbs all the nutrients and the water that might be used by the tree. Um, so kudzu vines are, are quite destructive. Um, and I don't know if you ever had any experience with vines in your yard. Um, maybe a, a, a tomato plant that has vines or uh, other, other kinds of vines. But obviously poison ivy, I don't know if you're allergic to poison ivy, uh, but it is a horrible vine uh, that is painful. Uh, so there are a lot of vines in the world that are destructive uh, that are uh, uh, devastating. Um, Christ here is talking about himself being the true vine, uh, a positive vine, a, a nourishing vine, a, a rich vine. Uh, as, as we look at this, uh, this section in Scripture, um, why does Christ use the vine motif? Uh, why does Christ in these I am statements seem to continue to go back to uh, very tangible things? I am the bread. Uh, um, I am the vine. I am the door. Um, and he's trying to teach in such a way that is understandable, using uh, motifs that those at that time would understand, uh, that would mean something to them. Um, perhaps this motif means less to us because we don't cultivate um, grapevines. Maybe you do in your backyard, but most of us don't. Um, maybe you've driven past a vineyard and you've seen the rows upon rows of, uh, of arbors, um, of, of wooden platforms that uh, vines are stretched across. But the idea that Christ is using here um, would have been very familiar to the disciples, to the, to the Jews that were listening, to even the Gentiles. Um, in, uh, in the preceding chapter, uh, Christ says, Come now, let us leave. They were gathered together, uh, eating, dining together. Uh, and as they left, many believed that they very well could have left the upper room uh, walk across the city of Jerusalem down to the Kidron Valley, uh, perhaps bringing them to the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives. And so in that journey, they would have seen perhaps many vines. Uh, vines were very common throughout Jerusalem and Judea. Um, they could have walked past the great golden vine that decorated the, the door to the holy place of the temple. Um, again, uh, the Jews would have been very, and Gentiles, would have been very familiar with the idea of vines especially uh, grapevines. Uh, and this, again, this idea was used all over the Old Testament. So the Jews especially would have known uh, immediately some kind of connection with what Jesus was talking about. I am the true, one, uh, true vine. Uh, they were an agricultural people. And so wine was of great importance. Uh, we use it celebratorily now uh, at a dinner, uh, at a gathering, um, Perhaps it's not something that we have every day, um, but for them it was. Water was a, a rare commodity, and, uh, and so there were other 
things to drink, but often it was wine. And so they would be very familiar with the fruit of the vine. Um, Scripture uses this idea of of a vineyard or a vine uh, all over the place, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, Amos 9 talks about the overflowing vine vats uh, to describe God's blessing. If a a vine uh, or a wine vat was overflowing, it means that there had been a good harvest. There was an abundance. And so it was a symbol of God's blessing on the people. Um, When there was a scarcity of wine, uh, many thought that it was an evidence of God's discipline. That there had been a drought, uh, there had been not as good of a crop. Um, And in Lamentations, uh, the author uses uh, a wine press as a symbol of judgment. The idea of of pressing the the grapes out and the juices flowing. And so all over the Old Testament, the Jews had grown up hearing about this motif, this idea of of the vine uh, and the wine dresser, or the vine dresser. Um, Psalm 80 uh, talks about this same idea, starting in verse 9. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Um, Isaiah 5 says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stone and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a, a vine vat, a wine vat, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. So all throughout the Old Testament, this picture of Israel being God's vineyard, his vine is there. And to continue with that, when the Israelites would rebel these different uh, motifs will be brought out again from Isaiah there. He says uh, that when God planted this wine vat or this vineyard, he looked to it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. The idea that the Israelites had turned away from the Lord. So as Christ says, I am the true vine, it's one of those phrases that would explode in the minds of the listener. They would have some kind of common connection with what he's talking about as he, as he walks forward with this, they, the Jews would probably remember their Old Testament stories and remember their ancestors, the Israelites, and how they had been uh, rebellious against God. Jesus again says, I am the true vine. And he's not saying that, uh, he's not comparing himself to other false vines, but he's saying, I am the one perfect, essential, and enduring vine Uh, before which all other vines are but shadows. Any reference in the Old Testament to a vine, to a vineyard, um, was but a shadow of the coming true vine. And we see that again in in Luke 1, where he calls himself the true light. In 6, where he calls himself the true bread. In Hebrews, where he says, I am the true tabernacle. He's again not comparing himself to a false image of these things, but saying that I have come to fulfill these things. I am the light. All other light up to this point had been simply to point you to the true light. All nourishment or bread before, like the manna that was given to the children when they were wandering in the wilderness, was simply to point them forward to the true bread, the bread that would truly give life. The vine is the preeminent symbol of Israel and God's choice vine or his vineyard. Um, So again, as the people are hearing that, they would understand. We perhaps don't have as much connection. Uh, Perhaps we've never grown a a vineyard or 
uh, grown our own grapes, but the, the people who are listening would know, they would instinctually know uh, and have some connection to what he's talking about. So Christ says that I am the true vine, and he says my father is the vine dresser. And he goes on and he talks about two aspects of how God the Father tends his vineyard, how he tends his people. Um, in, um, in verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Uh, one translation says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, he cuts up or he cuts off. Um, key word here is in me. This, this, this phrase that is over and over used in the scripture by Christ, by Paul, that we are in Christ. We are sealed to Christ. We are in him. And uh, so when, when John is talking here about the vine, about being in him, he's referring to believers. He's referring to those who know Christ. Um, and so one writer that I was reading uh, said he doesn't like the idea um, of translating uh, this phrase or word as cut off. Uh, he says it's a, a misunderstanding, and forgive the, the Greek or the grammar lesson here, but it's important. Uh, the Greek word arrow mean, has four different meanings. It could mean to lift up or pick up. It could mean to lift up figuratively, as in lifting up one's eyes or voice. It could mean to lift up with added thought of um, of lifting it up and then carrying it away. I would pick or lift something up. And then lastly, to remove. And most or many translators translate it as cut off to removed, to remove that. Um, But Jim Boyce says he much prefers the idea of to lift up or to pick up. Because again, the context is, is a God who is caring for his people. And how strange it would be at the first instance of of sin or the first instance of falling away for, for God to cut us off to remove us. But this writer says that it's a much better translation to say that what it, what it means here is, is to lift up or to pick up. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he is lifted up. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. This idea it revolves around the care of the gardener, caring for his people. That as they fall, as they stumble, that he doesn't just simply cut them off, and remove them, he lifts them up. This is what you do with vines that are, have clusters of grapes on them. Or this is what you do with vines that be, have begin to have some disease on them. Uh, a, a branch that trails on, the, trails on the ground will not be productive. The vine, the, the grapes have to be above the ground to get the air, to get the circulation around them. If they trail on the ground, the, the grapes will begin to die. And so what the vine dresser does when he comes in, he doesn't just simply cut the vine off, he lifts it up. He ties it onto another limb. He ties it onto another section of the arbor. And so in doing that, it, it, it sustains it. It gives it life. It gives it the chance to grow and be sustained. The gardener will not simply cut it off. He will tend it and care for it in a particular way. He will also, as he lifts it up, he will begin then to cut away small portions that are diseased, that have been damaged. But in that, in that cutting, there is a smaller cutting, a, a cutting away of just portions of it, but not the entire thing. 
And so this is a wonderful picture of what God the Father does for us. Every branch in me, in Christ, that does not bear fruit, he, he doesn't take it away, he doesn't cut it off, he doesn't dispose of it. He lifts it up, he cares for it, he nurtures it to give it a new life. It's a time a few years back where I was between churches and um, it was a difficult time for our family. Uh, perhaps you've been, been between jobs and uh, the uncertainty of where the next paycheck is going to come from. Uh, perhaps growing up, you saw your father or mother uh, walk through this, and uh, it's a time of great prayer, and uh, it's a time, hopefully, of great growth, but it's also a, a time that is fraught maybe with worry and fear and doubt. And this wonderful picture here of a God who, when we're going through difficult times, does not simply cut us off or remove us, but he cares for us. He embraces us. He lifts us up. In fact, he lifts our face to him so that we can see him more clearly. There's not a cutting, a removing. There's an embracing and a lifting up. And I'm so grateful to the Lord during that time that that while we were struggling, there was fear and there was doubt And there was worry, and so there was sin. And the Lord didn't simply remove us. He lifted us up. He cared for us. And in in lifting our face to him, it began to slowly remove the fear and the doubt and the worry. So that the tender care of the vine dresser is what sustained us. Are you going through a time like that right now? Where there's some... Uh, trauma in your life, some difficulty, some uncertainty. Maybe it is with family or with work. And we know from Scripture that God doesn't simply remove from himself his children. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't cut us off and, and leave us. He embraces us. We are his chosen. We are his children. We are his loved ones who he sent his son to pay for. He bought us. And so he's not going to... Um, run from us he's going to embrace and so i hope that during this time of perhaps fear and doubt and worry that you run to the lord that each day that you have that worry maybe you've awakened in the middle of the night and the worry is is very present that you run to the lord and know that even in that moment of of running to him that is an act of god drawing your heart It's an act of God lifting you up so that you might be fruitful again during during that time. We see in Job that Job was greatly tested. And we see that towards the end he began to grumble and complain and really question, why is this happening? And God did not strike him down. God did not destroy him or cut him off. In that sense, he embraced him and he lifted him up. And what he did in, in, in listening to Job's questions, uh, he never really answered Job's questions, but what he did is he reminded Job of who he is as his God. And so a, a vine dresser will lift up a branch that is dragging uh, and, and secure it closer. second thing that the father is said to do here is that he, in caring for the vine, is, is to purge it or to prune it. Uh, The Greek word means to cleanse or to make clean or to purify. So again, in that process of caring for the vine, there are going to be leaves or there are going to be sections that are diseased. Those might need to be cut away. Those might need to be removed. Is there anything in your life right now that you sense God is cutting away? A habit, a place, a person, 
a behavior, a thought, something that the Lord is removing from your life because he's reminded us in Scripture that it's, it's destructive, it's the disease. And if, it allows, if it's allowed to continue, it will creep like those kudzu vines. Unless they're daily tended and removed and cut, they will take over. Perhaps in your life you've seen that there's something there that the Lord is cutting away gently, other times vigorously, but he's removing it so that you will bear good fruit, so that that disease will not spread into other areas of your life. He's cleaning. Maybe it's a a person or a friendship. I remember growing up that I had a, a very close friend that it seemed over time the Lord removed he had him move, and, and there are many reasons of why he moved and many different impacts. But I know in my own life that I saw it as a mercy of the Lord because the two of us were not good together. We were destructive. We were uh, bad influences on each other. And I would not flee from him. I would not remove myself. I would not um, stop doing the things that we did together. And so... Uh, he moved one day, and I look back and I see that as a turning point in my life where the Lord removed a person from my life that I was allowing to be negative and that he was being negative in my life. Is there a person in your life, perhaps, that the Lord is creating some distance between you because the relationship is not good? Maybe he's reorienting your priorities Maybe he's used marriage to reorient your priorities. Uh, Maybe things that you cared about in the past, uh, the Lord has shown you through marriage. They no longer have as much emphasis. Maybe he's changing your values. Children change our values, don't they? They change our focus, our priorities. Uh, How we spent our money, perhaps as a single person, or how we spent our money as as a newly married person changes greatly when we start having children. So our, our values, our, our orientation, our priorities begin to change, and the Lord is pruning our lives. And he, yes, in some cases he's removing bad things, but in other cases he's, uh, he's putting in better things. Scripture reminds us in Psalm 119 that the primary way, uh, means of, of our cleansing is God's word. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Is God's word a daily part of your being lifted up, of your abiding in Christ? Is the word of God the place where you go to to plead that the Lord would cut away those things that are dead and diseased and useless? Christ also, in this parable, points to the secret of fruitfulness in verses 4 and 5. He says, no branch bears fruit in isolation. Uh, It must be vitally connected to the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The secret, if you call it that, to fruitfulness is abiding, is connection with Christ, is knowing Christ vitally and deeply. In that, we see our sin and we see his righteousness. We see what true fruit looks like. We see what false fruit looks like in our own life. We see from his word, and as we study and we look to Christ, we see the love that the vine dresser has for us. So as we abide in him, as, as we're connected to him every day, the Lord begins to show us those places, those areas of our life that need to be pruned, need to be cut. He reminds us that we are in constant need of being lifted up in our sorrow, in our doubt, in our worry, 
Are we abiding in Christ? Are we connected? One writer said this about this concept of apart from me you can do nothing. He says, please note that he, Christ, did not say uh, they would be handicapped or disadvantaged, but that they would be helpless, unable to serve him effectively at all. What might look like spiritual service would be only what 1 Corinthians 3 calls wood, hay, or straw, and we would be burned up at the judgment seat. He's talking about efforts made for the kingdom or perhaps religiously made that is not connected to Christ, how useless it is. While it may appear to be godly service, while it may appear to be fruitful, uh, if it is not done in the name of Christ, through Christ, it is like hay or straw or stubble that is burned up. He goes on, he says, If our work doesn't begin with Christ, continue to be sustained by Christ, and end at Christ for his glory, it will not last. Are we engaged with our family members, be it our own children or brothers and sisters, husbands, wives? Are we engaged to love them, to serve them, to make our lives easier, to keep a peaceful home? Or are we engaged for God's glory that they might know Jesus? Our efforts to engage them uh, simply because we don't want strife in our home, we want a, a nice peaceful place, or are we genuinely seeking to love them, which may mean confronting them, which may mean uh, disciplining our children? Are we engaged with our family because we long to see God's kingdom grow? We long to see them grow in Christ. And so we may be the means by which God is pruning their lives. We may be used in their lives to point out or bring out sin in their lives. Christ wonderfully in John 4 says uh, that his food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Christ saw obedience as his food, as his sustaining uh, food. He, he fed on it. He, he took joy in, in obedience. He took joy in, in obeying his father. Do we see obedience as food? Does it feed us? When, we're, when we obey, because we know that as we obey, our relationship continues to grow with the Father. Galatians 5 talks wonderfully about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I don't know if you're like me, but I can't get very far into that verse before I start stumbling over my own sin and inadequacy. I can't get past Uh, joy and peace before I start to remember what yesterday looked like or am reminded of my own heart and the lack of peace. But the Lord says that this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit of knowing Christ, of growing in Christ. How are we in those areas? Is our life resemble more and more a life of love, a life of joy, of peace? Are we gentle Are we self-controlled? Have you seen over the years, progressively, a growing love of these traits? Have you seen the Lord beginning to grow these things? Then today ought to be a day where we thank Him for what He's done, and we plead that He would continue. We plead that He would continue to do that. But bearing fruit like this, the fruit of the Spirit, requires certain things, just like when you grow something, when you grow a plant or a uh, a vineyard, you need the right soil and the white water and, and the weather, the sun to feed it. Are we being fed? You're here today. 
But we can sit in a room like this. I can stand up here and preach and still not be fed. We can go through the motions. We can have our Bibles open. We can be reading and looking, and yet still our hearts can be far from the Lord. We can sit on a Sunday morning, and our hearts can be far because we go through the motions. Do we prepare our hearts for worship? This Saturday night, will you prepare your heart to worship the Lord? Will you put aside certain things? In our family, we have to put aside TV. It's consuming at times. So Saturday nights, we have to put it aside. We take the bulletin uh, home, and, and, and we read through it, and we sing, and it's an awful noise when we sing as a family without any instrumentation. So I love Sunday mornings to hear how the hymn or the song actually should sound. Um, but it's a joyful noise in the Lord to hear a four-year-old and a six and an eight and a ten-year-old making a joyful noise to prepare our hearts to worship. Uh, and it's a struggle. And some Saturday nights it feels like anything but worship. And some mornings, I'm sure, as you open God's word, it feels like anything but fellowship. And yet the Lord calls us back. The Lord says, run to me, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I will nurture you and care for you. Do we continue to run back to the Lord? This idea of tending or pruning is not just cutting off something that is dead or decaying, but it's also cutting away something that's living. If you've ever had a tree in your yard, if you've ever had a bush, you know that uh, part of the pruning comes in cutting away living branches. And we do this because sometimes they get too full. Sometimes we want uh, a healthier bloom on the wood. And so the Father may be today pruning in your life even good things that are there. From Abraham, he called him to leave his city and his family. Uh, and even to offer his son Isaac so that the Lord might use him for greater fruit. The Lord pruned Joseph's life. He pruned away his freedom and his family so that he would accomplish greater things in him and in his family and through the nation of Israel that would be created there in Egypt. So God has a, a habit of cutting away things in our lives that are good to make way for things that are better and greater and even more fruitful. Perhaps the Lord cut away from you singleness, which is a good thing, to make way for marriage, to allow you to be fruitful and have children. Perhaps he's cut away a plan that you made, a good plan, a good place that you wanted to go so that you might see something different. Perhaps you've not been able to have children, and yet the Lord used that to lead you to adoption. Perhaps a job or a new career uh, that he um, created, brought to your attention because the old career was taken away. And so the Lord prunes our lives. He not only cuts away bad things, but there are times when he cuts away good things to make way for even better things. I love doing uh, marriage ceremonies. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love to walk with couples uh, through uh, premarital counseling, to hear uh, their struggles, to hear their joys, to hear their excitements, to hear their fears as we walk through what their life might look like as a married couple. Um, and I love the, the marriage ceremony where this new thing is created in front of our eyes. As you sit in the audience and as you watch this man and this woman take these vows 
before God and before you, something new is being created. There's a union that is being created there. Um, When Christ says, abide in me, he's talking about that vital union that happens to us uh, when we um, are saved. When we come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, we are now one with Christ. We are in union with Christ. And it's a, a wonderful, beautiful thing that we are a new creation in Christ. And so Christ is the initiator. Christ is the, the, the Savior. He's the one that does the work. He builds the union. We receive it, but he does the work. But how strange would it be sitting in that marriage ceremony to watch that man and woman to make these vows before one another, and then they go home in separate cars and live in different apartments. We're one. We just don't want to live together. We're one in Christ. We're a new union. We're a new person, and yet we like our homes. She's got a place over here. He's got a place over here. I've got my bank account. She has his. We don't want to live together. We just want to be married, right? That, that's not marriage, is it? There's a union that's been created, and so it's being created that there would be fellowship and there would be communion every day. And so while Christ is the initiator and sustainer of our union, we play a part, we play an active, engaged role in the communion, the fellowship every day. So when he says, abide in me, there's responsibility on us. Christ initiated the union. But he now tells us to abide, to stay connected with him. So that married couple, to, to have communion, to grow every day, they need to spend time in prayer together. They need to talk to one another. More than just the grunt, how was your day? Good. More than just talking about the weather or the shopping list. It's engaging the sharing of feelings, hopes, and disappointments, and dreams. Those who are married, how do we do there? Are we engaged daily in prayer with our spouse? Are we engaged in opening up our lives, sharing with them our thoughts and our feelings, our hopes and our dreams? Without these things, married life can become very routine or even a war, and it can slowly lose its joy. And so can a walk with Christ. If there's not a daily abiding, a daily connection, a daily prayer life, a daily reading the word, a daily or weekly fellowship and worship, then we lose our zeal. We lose our connection. And there's a union to Christ, but there's no feeding. There's no communion. Union is the foundation. Communion is the building on the foundation. Just like a married couple daily will build upon their marriage vows, build upon their intimacy and their closeness, so too are we called through Jesus Christ to abide in me, in Christ. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And later in that section it says, with me you can do all things. So what a wonderful reminder today that we have been created to be, um, to be in connection with the Lord. And he calls us today. He calls us to abide in me. He calls us to communion. He calls us back to fellowship. So I, I pray that today, in little ways and small ways, you are reconnected to the vine. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do desperately need you. Like a good marriage, it takes work daily. It doesn't end at the marriage ceremony. It begins. 
Father, it doesn't begin for us and end simply with us coming to know Christ as our Lord and Savior. It begins there. The communion goes on. Are we abiding in Christ? Are we connected first and foremost to the true vine? Have we bowed the knee before Christ, declaring that we are wild and useless apart from him, and our sin has disconnected us, but he is grafting us in, he's calling us to a true fellowship? Have we given our life to Jesus Christ, and and has he called us into that relationship? But now that we have it, are we abiding in him? Are we connected to him? Are we being fed every single day? by the vine dresser, by the true vine. I pray, Lord, today is a day of being fed and that we would bear much fruit in the lives of those around us in this watching world. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.